Electric Eyes Curse came and attacked us. We had audio problems the entire episode. Yeah, the interface was off. It was recording from the laptop and we didn't realize until Jessica's case was done. So anyways, if you hear that it sounds different, that's why. Welcome to our first episode of Something Ominous Podcast. I'm your host, Jessica. And I'm Karina. So Karina, what are you covering today? So today I'm going to be talking about the legend Bloody Mary. I'm going to be talking about who she was or theories about who she was and where this legend came from. What are you going to talk about? I'm going to go over the Portuguese curse. Have you heard of it? I feel like I've heard of it, but I don't know the details. But I know there was like something going on there with the movie. With the movie, right? Yeah, like with the movies. Yeah, I kind of heard a little bit about it. Pretty interesting. I don't think it's that scary, but it's kind of creepy. So do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I think you should go first. Okay. So I'll be going over the events that occurred following the Portuguese franchise movies. Overcome by tragedy and strange occurrences that have left many wondering if there's something more sinister at play. But before we get started, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you won't miss any episodes. And if you do enjoy the show, please leave us a positive review. We would greatly appreciate it. Right, Gary? Yes, yeah. please. Okay. All right. So just to begin our journey, let's first explore the Portuguese films themselves. Released between 1982 and 1988, the supernatural horror movies captivated audiences with their eerie storytelling and groundbreaking special effects. So I'm just going to give you a synopsis of all three movies. I've only watched the first one. Have you watched any? No, I haven't. I feel like I've watched clips, um, but I can't remember the movie that well. Yeah, I was probably like 10 years old when I watched Portuguese. So then I was like seven. I don't know, maybe. It was a long time ago. You know what? They used to pass it on Channel 20 whenever it was like Halloween and they would put yeah. all the scary movies. So that's why I feel like I've watched clips from it. But Yeah, we definitely watched it at the house. Yeah, I do remember like some of the scary scenes. So I know. I just remember her standing or like sitting on the floor with the TV and the yes, static. Yes, that's what I remember. I also remember like the, I think the cabinets opened mm-hmm. and like the dishes or something happened in the kitchen. Yeah. All right, so Portuguese is the original film from the trilogy. It revolves around the members of the Freeling family. Parents, Steve, who is played by Craig Nelson, and Diane, who's played by Joe Beth Williams. Teenage daughter Dana, played by Dominique Dune. Eight-year-old brother Robbie, played by Oliver Robbins. And five-year-old Carol Ann, played by Heather O'Rourke. The Freeling family is being stalked and terrorized by a group of ghosts led by a demon known as the Beast. The Beast is attracted to the youngest daughter, Carol Ann, believing that Carol Ann would be able to guide them to the light. The ghost under the control of the Beast would communicate with her through the TV. The ghosts abduct Carol Ann through her closet, which is a portal to their dimension. Most of the film is just the family trying to rescue Carol Ann from the other dimension. She is eventually rescued and the Freeling family flee just before the house implodes and disappears into another dimension. Now on to Poltergeist 2. The other side was the 1986 film. The Freelings have escaped their haunted house at this point, which is now being studied by paranormal investigators, including Shaman Taylor, 
who is played by Will Sampson. When Taylor realizes that the Beast, masquerading as Reverend Kane, who's played by Julian Beck, knows where young Carol Ann Freeling now lives, he goes to warn the family that their daughter is in danger again. To protect Carol, her father Steve, and the rest of the family must plot to take down the Beast, escaping one more time. So now on to Poltergeist 3, which is the 1988 film. Psychic Leotun youngest Carol Ann is sent to live in Chicago with her uncle Bruce and her aunt Pat. But that doesn't mean that she's escaped the apparitions that have haunted her in the past. When she starts experiencing terrifying visions, her school psychologist believes that they're figments of her imagination. But this becomes hard to believe when ghostly foes start inhabiting the mirror in her relative's high-rise apartments. You know what they say about mirrors. Ooh, I know. However, what most people don't know is that behind the scenes, a series of mysterious and tragic events unfolded, leading many to believe that the film was cursed. So there was three Poltergeist movies. Yes. I didn't realize that there was three movies. Like, I know it's like the Poltergeist, but I didn't realize that they made sequels of it. Yeah. I feel like the first one was the most popular movie. Yeah. And then they just kept following the story. Yeah. So it all started with the untimely death of Dominique Dune, who played the eldest daughter, Dana, in the original Poltergeist film. Dominique had a bright future and was already established as a scream queen after the success of the Poltergeist movie. She was expected to resume her role as the eldest daughter, Dana, in Poltergeist 2 and had a mini series already lined up. She was literally just starting her acting career. Like that was her first big hit. Before I continue with the rest of Dominique's story, I do want to give a trigger warning to domestic violence. So if the subject is triggering for you, please skip the next two to three minutes of this episode. In 1982, shortly after the movie's release, Dominique was strangled by her ex-boyfriend, John Sweeney, when she ended the abusive relationship. Dominique tried leaving the relationship in the past several times, but he always managed to win her back. John was a jealous and possessive boyfriend, causing their relationship to quickly deteriorate. During an argument on August 1982, John yanked a handful of hair from Dominique's head. Frightened, she fled to her mother's where he shows up banging on the door and windows demanding to be let in. Her mother eventually tells him to leave or she would call the police. Dominic did return to the house she shared with John a few days later and continued her relationship. September of 1982, a friend who was staying with the couple heard loud gagging sounds and went into the room to investigate and sees John attacking Dominique. She told her friend that he was trying to kill her, but he denied everything and told Dominique to go back to bed. So Dominique, fearing for her life, she complied. Later, she sneaks out of the house through the bathroom window John hears her car turning on and runs outside the house, jumping on top of the car. Dominique does get away. She's able to escape by slightly slowing down the car, and I'm assuming John thinks, I got her again. But as soon as he gets off of the car, she takes off. She manages to escape and go to her mother's house. A few days later, she officially ends the relationship. She kicks John out of the house, changes the locks, and she moves back in. On October 1982, Dominique was rehearsing for the miniseries with her actor friend David Packer. While Dominique and David were rehearsing, John showed up at her home. Thinking it was safe since her friend was there, she stepped outside to have a conversation with John. Later, David said that he heard loud smacking noises and a thud. He called the police, but they weren't able to go to Dominique's home due to jurisdiction issues. So either the house was outside of their jurisdiction or domestic violence was outside of the jurisdiction for police. 
there's a few articles that say either or, but point is the police didn't show up on time. David eventually leaves the house through the back door and as he's approaching the driveway, he sees John kneeling over Dominique's body near the bushes. David calls the police once again. They actually arrive this time. So when they arrive, John stands up with his hands up in the air saying, I killed my girlfriend and I tried to kill myself. Her tragic death marked the beginning of the now known poltergeist curse. But the curse didn't stop there. Soon after, the young actress Heather O'Rourke, who played the iconic character as Carol Ann, fell victim to a sudden and mysterious illness. She passed away at the age of 12, leaving fans and cast members in shock. On January 31st, 1988, Heather starts to feel sick. Her mother was checking in on her and described her symptoms as flu-like symptoms. She followed instructions given to her by an advice nurse she spoken to earlier that day. The following morning on Monday, February 1st, 1988 heather wakes up for school as usual her mom asked if she's feeling better and heather replies that she feels okay her mom also noticed that heather was struggling to swallow her food she takes a closer look and sees that she's lethargic pale cold to the touch and her fingertips had a bluish tint to them she could hear that heather was also struggling to breathe 911 is called and she's rushed to the hospital at the hospital doctors perform an exploratory procedure and discover that Heather had an obstruction in her small intestine. It became infected and had already burst. She needed emergency surgery. With overwhelming bacterial infection, septic shock, and brain damage, Heather's condition was uncertain. Her mother was also informed that Heather may not survive. After the surgery was completed, she was in intensive care, but showed no signs of improvement. She passed away later that day at 2 p.m. The strange occurrences didn't spare the adult cast members either. Actor Julian Beck, who portrayed the sinister Reverend Kane in Poltergeist 2, died of stomach cancer just months after the film's release. Many believe that the role had somehow cursed him. And there's more. Will Sampson, who played the shaman Taylor in Poltergeist 2, also passed away unexpectedly. He passed away from post-operative kidney failure, raising further questions about the curse's reach. With so much tragedy surrounding the franchise, it's natural to wonder if there are supernatural forces at play. There is a scene where the mom Diane falls into the pool, that nasty ass and muddy pool. I don't know if you guys remember the scene, but I do. And out of nowhere, these skeletons just start popping out of the water surrounding her. And the reason that they say it's cursed is because they actually used real skeletons in this scene. Not the plastic ones from the store. No, no, no. Actual skeletons. Like dead people. And the reason they went with real skeletons, it's because at the time, it was a lot cheaper to go with real human bones than the plastic ones. The actress Jo Beth, who was the one that played Diane, had no idea that she was swimming around real skeletons. It wasn't until after she finished filming the scene, which took a total of four to five days, that they told her she was swimming around with real skeletons, which is kind of like fucked up. Some speculate that the curse was brought on by the use of real human skeletons in the first film, but others believe that the subject matter of the film just attracted the dark energy. Skeptics, on the other hand, argue that these were merely unfortunate coincidences and that the notion of a curse is just purely superstition, but the coincidences continue to haunt the Portuguese legacy. Now, it is clear that the Portuguese curse remains a mystery to this day, 
say, whether you believe the curse or not, the tragic events surrounding the cast of these films cannot be denied. Gary's up next. Okay, so today I'll be talking about the legend of Bloody Mary. I wanted to research the theories behind Bloody Mary. Where did she come from and how did this story originate? If you're a millennial, I know you've heard about Bloody Mary. It's something that was really popular when I was like in third or fourth grade. I remember like playing in the restroom of our elementary school and everybody would dare you to say Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary in front of the mirror or like they would turn the lights off as we're, you know, the last person that's there i remember that yeah i'm not gonna lie to you sometimes i want to try it yeah like just to see what happens i don't know if you remember the restroom in the third floor of our elementary was huge like for no reason it probably had like 10 stalls Man, it probably like had, had like more. Stalls. It was like 15 stalls. It was like really big. I remember I would go to the restroom in that third floor and I would be in a hurry, like just trying to like, like I would pee real fast. I don't even know if I would wash my hands because I was like, I'm not looking into the mirror because you know, like in the back of your head, even if you don't want to say it out loud in the back of your head, you're washing your hands and it's like Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary. And I'm like, no, no, no. So yeah, it was it was a little traumatizing as a eight-year-old so anyways for some reason when i was researching what case to write about i remembered bloody mary and i'm like where did that even come from so yeah the most common ritual goes like this you're supposed to light a candle in the bathroom turn off all the lights you look in the mirror and say bloody mary bloody mary three times it's said that when you turn the lights back on you'll find claw marks all over your body Or you could even have your eyes scratched out. The details of the ritual vary based on culture or region, but it all ties down to a woman named Mary. Okay, so we'll first start talking about Queen Mary. So Queen Mary was the first queen of England. And I say first queen of England because she was the first queen to rule in her own birthright, meaning she was the actual daughter of a king instead of being like, inheriting the throne just because she's the wife of a king if that makes sense so she was a daughter of king henry the eighth and catherine of aragon she was born on february 18 1516 and she had a difficult childhood she wasn't the son that king henry and his wife had been waiting for she was a teenager when her father decided to divorce her mother to marry anne Boleyn and break from the catholic church Mary's title was downgraded from princess to lady as her dad established the Church of England. And he actually ended up executing his next four wives to marry the next. So King Henry did end up having a son later on who reigned for six years. Um, When he died, Queen Mary fought for the throne. So Mary was known as the first queen of England, but unfortunately also gained the nickname of Bloody Mary due to her persecution of Protestants. She was a devoted Catholic and was determined to return England to Catholicism by reversing the anti-Catholic policies and punishing the Protestants. It's reported that as many as 280 Protestants were burned at stake during her five-year reign. Because of her legacy and her nickname, she also inspired the alcoholic beverage known as Bloody Mary, which is a very spicy drink. I don't know if you've had one, but... I don't like it. You don't like it? No. Is it too spicy? Too spicy. It's disgusting, in my opinion. Yeah, Michelada's rule. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. As time passed, the legend of Bloody Mary transformed from historical references into a ritual that dared the curious to face the fears in the most haunting way possible by summoning her spirit in front of a mirror. 
Other theories include Mary Worth, who was allegedly believed to be a witch and was burned at stake in Salem. And of course, she was only named a witch because she lived in a forest and made herbal remedies and really liked plants. Like literally my dream life. <laughs> Imagine what they would call us with our tecitos. I know. So glad I wasn't born in that era. Seriously. So girls were going missing in this village and villagers started claiming that Mary was appearing younger. They're like, her face looks smoother. It has to be her. Like she must be, you know, doing something, some kind of witchcraft with these girls. And that's why she's appearing more youthful. So she was pronounced a witch by these same villagers. And while she was burning, she put a curse on the villagers and said she would be back for them if they ever said her name as she should. <laughs> just kidding just kidding the last theory i found and my personal favorite was on j-hop times website and it goes like this so in the 1800s an illness had spread in mary's town killing a lot of people in a short period of time of course during those times it was hard to pronounce someone dead because the only way of knowing was when they would stop breathing so they would hold a mirror under their nose to check for condensation as they breathe. The villagers were finding that some of these quote-unquote dead people were actually being buried alive. So they came up with an idea. They made a small hole in the coffins and attached a bell with a rope to it. So in case a dead person was actually alive, they could ring the bell even if it was days later. When one of the villagers, Mary, was sick and died, she was placed in one of these coffins and was buried but with just enough space for her to ring the bell in case she was alive. Her parents waited day and night hoping she would ring the bell. But after about a week, they left to a neighbor's house and just like you expect, Mary rang the bell. She rang the bell so hard that the stick the rope was tied to fell out of the coffin and Mary tried to claw her way out. When her parents returned to her burial site, they found the bell was outside of the coffin and ran to open it. Wait, okay, so they didn't leave a hole in the coffin so she can breathe in case she was alive because people were dying? So I feel like they make the hole just enough for there to be like a rope with the bell in it. But it was like she was already down, like she was already like underground. But I feel like they just leave enough space in the hole to have like a bell on it. Got it. Yeah, because they don't want to leave it like all the way open. I yeah. Think, just because, I mean, it's, it had already been like a week. They found that Mary clawed at the wooden coffin until her fingers bled and there was blood all over the white dress she was buried in. They hurried and grabbed a mirror to place under her nose. Mary was dead, but there was condensation on the mirror. It said that Mary's soul attached to the mirror and now when you look in the mirror and say her name in the dark, she'll come back for years. I like that one. I know. I liked it too. I'm like, yes, this is it. This is Bloody Mary. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that would be... The creepiest Like, one. it makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Because of who we think Bloody Mary is. Yeah, because when I think of Bloody Mary, I think of a woman in a white dress. And, like, especially with the with the ritual that she scratches your eyes out or you find claw marks. That's what I remember from what Bloody Mary ritual was. Yeah, I actually don't remember that. I just remember that when we would play, they would say that they'll touch your feet or something like that or she'll come out. Mm -hmm. There was another ritual. So, I... Talked about the main ritual that, you know, is most common. But there was another ritual where they would say, Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, I have your baby. Something like that. Did you ever hear that? Yeah, but I feel like it had something to do with the stalls. I don't know if it was because it was in a school. Yeah. So that's that's why I had the impression that she like pulled your feet or grabbed your feet mm -hmm. or you could see her feet through the stalls. Something mm -hmm. had to do with feet. Right. 
I think it was just a restroom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so about this ritual with the with the baby, that was another like another a different ritual that I found. And so I didn't mention this, but the queen, you know, in her adult years, or really she I think she passed away at the age of 47 or something like that. So her last few years, I should say, she got married. She was a queen. She got married to King Philip and they never had children. But it was weird because she announced her pregnancy. So, you know, the nine months came and went and she never had a baby. And people were just assuming. I mean, she already had a bad reputation for, you know, the the Protestants and everything. So I feel like people were just then started talking even worse about her, saying she's just making pregnancies up. She's spreading false rumors. So apparently she was like very distraught about not having a baby. So that was another ritual that I heard, which was Bloody Mary, Bloody Mary, I have your baby. And that she would like come for you like from the mirror. Uh, you should actually look into her because I have heard a few things about her specifically. About Queen Mary? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like scary stuff. Really? The people that she killed. Yeah, if you look into her, I've heard a few episodes um, from other paranormal podcasts that have covered it. Maybe she can be a case we can cover. Let's go play Bloody Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Not in my house. Um, I'm about to sage this whole house. Well, this was fun, Karina. Yeah, I had fun. I was a little nervous, though. It's my first episode ever, like recording ever. So I hope I did okay. You did great. I think you did really good. I mean, we're going to get better. So stay tuned and look forward to a lot more episodes. See you next week. See ya. Thank you guys for listening. Bye. Bye.